0: Welcome to the Jack and John podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John. And we're on a mission to help you focus on Christ.
1: And to let John focus his mind on something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, if you were with us last time, uh, we started on the big words of the Bible. And uh, propitiation is still the one for me. I mean, that's such a big word. But uh, we're going to hit on four big words from the Bible today. And we're going to start with righteousness than justification, sanctification, and glorification. So, Jack, kick it off here.
1: Well, I'm going to kick it off by telling a story. I had a conversation with a, a guy a few years ago, and uh, this guy did not believe in God. Mm-hmm. And so the discussion was between me, a believer, and he, an unbeliever, trying to get our point across that there is a God. And his position basically came from the fact that, that he said everything had to have a beginning. Mm -hmm. To him, if there wasn't a beginning to something, then it didn't exist. In other words, it had to begin to exist. And my position was the eternal nature of God, where he always was, he always will be. In other words, there is no beginning, there is no ending to God, he is eternal. And this man could not get that concept for the life of him. And as he kept trying to prove his point point, his side, I kept thinking, boy, I sure am glad that my God isn't based on this guy's understanding and feeling of God. Because if it was, then I would have a finite God that was limited. And uh, to me, that's not a God at all. And I don't want any part of that kind of a God. But the other aspect of this, John, is that all of these words that we're talking about are amazing gifts of God. I mean, what kind of a gift is forgiveness? I mean, that is a gift. No matter what you have done, that the blood of Christ is powerful enough to forgive all sin, every sin, no matter what. And uh, then he gives you all of these gifts. I wanted to read just a little bit of the first chapter of Ephesians just to show you what I mean. In other words, when you receive God, when you see Christ as your Savior, then you get all of His blessings. And so, if you're an unbeliever and, and don't believe in God, then you also exclude yourself from all of these blessings and all of the things that He brings. I'll give you an example. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places now that sentence is beyond comprehension is beyond compare it's just amazing even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us as a uh, for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Are you hearing all these things? Mm -hmm. All of these things that we have, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Folks, let me tell you something. I want you to know that when you receive Christ, you receive all of these things, all of these blessings. And here's the sad thing. I think there's a lot of Christians who have all of these things, but aren't using them. Right. It could be a lack of faith or a lack of belief. It could be that they just don't understand. I don't know what it is, but folks, I would implore you to get into the word of God and to begin to read it by faith, understanding that these things are given to those of us who believe. And we have so many tools, so many blessings, so many things that uh, because we are believers, because of his grace, because of his mercy, he has made us a part of every good gift The Bible says comes down from the father of lights and he's blessed us all. And I think the first word is one of the main things that we move into as we understand all the words we talked about last time. And that is that we are given then the righteousness of Jesus. It is not a righteousness of our own, but it's a righteousness that is imputed to us. That's another good King James word. He imputes his righteousness to us. Kind of sounds like he imputes this kind oh of spewed and that's exactly what that means, John.
0: It does. It just <laughs> right. means he
1: just spewed it all spewed over. spewed it all yeah, over his us. righteousness. That's okay. it. Okay.
0: You know, I feel like uh, we should call this not just big words of the Bible, but the big concepts because oh. you're talking about blessings in the heavenly, heavenly places. places yeah. I can't get my mind around that. I don't even know what that means. I know it means something amazing, and it, and it opens me up to the desire, you know, when we get to heaven, uh, to find out what all of that means. Um, but Let me ask you a question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Your daughter was on right. our podcast right. uh, not too many episodes ago, and uh, you're proud of her, correct? True. Let me ask you a question then. Did you know what it was like to love your daughter before you had her, before your wife birthed her? In other words, do you know what it's like to be a father when you aren't one yet? Does it take being a father in order to understand the love and all of the blessings that come with a daughter? And is that not applicable to the heavenly realms and all of the things that God gives us? It's almost like you have to experience it in order to understand it.
0: I would agree with you. In that.
1: other words, I can tell people what it means to me to be a Christian, what it means to know Christ personally, but until they are united with him, it is then that they will understand more right. fully. So I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. We haven't experienced heaven yet, so we can't wrap our minds around it. It's bigger than us.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And uh, let's Paul used the phrase, beyond all we can ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, this is coming from a guy who's seen it, you know. Because when Paul writes that, he talks about I he knew a man. Translated into the, I knew a man end. who, <laughs> and he's talking about himself right. uh, being before God um, and seeing it. And
1: you know, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. Sure, and um, he repented and be, you know eventually became Paul. But uh, he was a mess at the beginning because he was so excited about what God had given him. And in trying to tell the other Christians about him, well, they remembered the Saul that came with uh, weapons to destroy them, not the word of God to bless them. And uh, so eventually Saul had to be let down over the wall in a basket and he scurried away to Arabia, right? Right. And he was there for three years. And during those three years, I believe that the Lord taught him. And one of the things while he was there, he was translated, the Bible says, into the third heaven and saw things that Paul writes, I couldn't even tell you. I think there weren't words that we would understand. And the finite mind can't understand the infinite. And so I can't even tell you. Uh, I'm telling you normal things and you're, you're not getting it. I can't tell you these lofty things that I saw, but just know that it is so beyond and above anything we can imagine or dream. It's going to be so wonderful that it is worth giving your life uh, to him who offers it to you.
0: I, I never had this thought before um, until we're just talking right now, but um Paul is, in some respects, kind of like um, some of the older prophets. You know, I'm thinking of Jonah in particular, because Jonah didn't want to go and and prophesy and, and preach to the folks in Nineveh. And here's Saul of Tarsus, who is... As Jesus describes, kicking against the goads. Okay, goads are like sticks that you use to get your oxen back on the right path. And so, uh, what he's saying—that would be is, painful. Yeah, what he is saying mm-hmm. is that he's been gently probing Paul or Saul to get him on track because he wanted him. To be his his prophet, basically his his apostle, his speaker to the the, the people Gentile. and to the Gentiles, um, and uh, that's what he means when he says it's been hard for you to kick against the goads. Now that's not in the uh, you know Damascus Road story. That comes later in the Book of Acts, but it relates back to that mm-hmm. um, because when Jesus confronts him, he says, "Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute Persegue me?" me. Um, and that's when it's, it's like it's opened up for him to see Jesus and to know him. Now, I, I believe the difference between Paul and, say, Jonah is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Because these prophets in, in the Old Testament, a lot of the times, well, they didn't get it right. There's lots of examples. Like Gideon. Gideon was, uh, you know, a mighty warrior for God. He, you know, God found him as a coward, you know, hiding in this, system, wine, this press. wine press to, to, you know, grind the grain because he didn't want the, what the Midianites to come and steal it, you know. And so, uh, but then he gets puffed up and starts to make it all about himself as time goes on. Paul, didn't, Paul never does that. Paul was a servant in chains. I'm the worst
1: of sinners. Yeah, Yeah.
0: but I think the difference is two things. One, God took him to a place indescribable, and he showed him what his glory is like. He took him into his very heavenly presence, um, and then he dwells within him through the Holy Spirit and puts him back here to be a minister to his people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, So where does our righteousness come from then?
1: Well, our righteousness does not come from ourselves. Let us not boast in ourselves, but let us boast in the Lord, the Bible says. So it certainly doesn't come from ourselves. The righteousness is the amazing gift of, of God. I think the word um, justification comes in here. Uh, justification is another big word, uh, but it, it, you can do the same thing you did with atonement, right. the word justification. Justify, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Right. Is, is the way you can put justify. Right. And what happens in my mind there is kind of two things. Uh, number one, Jesus Christ takes our sin upon him. Second thing is, then he gives us his righteousness. Right. So he who knew no sin becomes sin. And this guy who is very well acquainted with sin receives the righteousness of Christ. And so now I can't boast in my own righteousness from here on out. It is but the righteousness of Christ working powerfully in me. My job is to remain clean, to remain a holy people. That's what God wants from us. He called us to be a holy people, to be called out from the world, to be a part of the church, to be the body of Christ, to be his hands, to be his feet, to love, to serve as he loved and served. And that's our challenge. Certainly, it's our challenge. And uh, I just pray that uh, when people see me, they will say eventually, you know, you can tell that guy knows Christ. You can see that. I think if eventually someone doesn't say that, then we probably ought to look at ourselves. Right. Right. And uh, see if we're understanding the righteousness of Christ and where that leads.
0: Yeah, a few weeks ago, you know, when we were talking with John Caldwell, we talked about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Um, yeah, Jesus basically tells us that our righteousness comes through believing in him, putting our faith in him. And in Hebrews 11, you know, we've called that the great hall of faith chapter because it goes through all these people in, in the Old Testament who believed, and it, it talks about Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, it, not because there was anything so great about Abraham, but because of what he believed in, who he believed in. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, We're not just saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, or I believe he's the son of God. We're saying, I believe it all. I believe that he is our creator. He is the one who sustains us. He's the one who came as a man. He took on himself um, all of my sin, all of the sins of the world. That's what I'm believing in. I'm believing in that kind of God that loved me enough not only to make me and to enable me to be able to make my own choices, but also to enable me to make my own mistakes and forgive those.
1: You know, I uh, would have to say to everyone that uh, there is a bit that you can do to make yourself a better person. Okay, now this is a worldly coming at this, and you understood what I, where I was going the minute I said that. Because in all fairness, you know, uh, and you get these things all the time. You see them on Facebook, you see them on TV, you see them advertise uh, how to better yourself, you know, a better diet, a better exercise program, uh, some kind of a training or teaching or education. And you can do these things and you can probably become in certain ways a better person, but it falls so far short of the goal and what you can be and what is available to you, and that is the righteousness of Christ. And uh, the true important things of life, how to be a better person in Christ. Because eventually man that does not believe and has no faith is going to deny Christ. And that denial of Christ is going to bring a judgment on his wisdom. Because that's foolishness. That's what the Bible calls it. And when you think you're so smart that, well, I've kind of educated myself and I've got that stuff. I heard this yesterday from someone. That stuff is silliness. I've laid that aside. That's just stories and, you know, make up, make believe. Uh, I've now enlightened myself. And the whole time I'm thinking, you know, you're the dumbest guy on the planet. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say that because he would say I was the dumbest guy on the planet. So so men deny and kill Christ because I think they're afraid he's right. And if, if Jesus is right... And you don't want to believe you're going to have to deny him and kill him yeah. or else you're going to have to face him. And when you face him, you're going to lose. And it's, it's not good for you. So,
0: Yeah, I think sometimes the reason why we kill God, whether it's crucifying Jesus on the cross or whether it's uh, killing God in our thought process uh, or denying God in our thought process, um, it's because we've conjured up who we want God to be. We, we have our own belief. We've got our own design. We've made God. And right. we don't like sure. It, it's an idol or he doesn't fit mm-hmm. what we want. Most of the time when people are wanting to kill God, it's because they realize he's not the God that they would have created. Right. Yeah. You know, people ask the question, um, how does a good, all knowing, all loving God allow evil to happen? How does he allow these bad things to happen? We talked about that when we were reading through, I think it was in First John, and they, we came up with that other fancy word that we haven't really talked about, forbearance, okay? And that is that God has overlooked sin so that he could send Jesus as our propitiation, our atonement, to give us justification to bring us into reconciliation with Him, um, and so the, the the answer, the hard answer with that is, why does God allow those things? It's called mercy, mm. because our God loves us enough that He's withholding wrath. He's withholding wrath. He's poured out His wrath on His Son, but guess what? One day He's going to pour out His wrath. Right. Period. And only those who believe in his son are going to be shielded from that.
1: And that belief is what brings you into a relationship whereby now you are a part of his family. Right. The family of God. And the thing that we have to understand here is that God has always wanted a people. And the children of Israel were his first chosen people. And the way he made them a people was he he made a covenant relationship with Mm -hmm. them. And covenant is another word that's very important in the scriptures. Uh, The first covenant was basically based on the law of Christ. And basically, I think it was put there to show us that that covenant doesn't work. That agreement doesn't work. Basically, I would simplify this to say that a covenant, you would understand it better as a peace treaty. It goes back to the Old West, you know, where we're going to make a peace treaty. And, uh, you know, and basically it was with the, uh, you know, the, the Native American was making these peace treaties with, you know, the white man or whatever you want to call that side of it. And the peace treaty was as good as the people that were making mm. the treaty. And uh, you could break break a peace treaty and there was no longer any peace. And basically that was the first covenant. It was a covenant between God and man whereby we said, we will obey you, and we will do your will. We would live up to your law, and you will be our God, and you will protect us, and we will be your people. And it would be a great, cool thing. But they kept breaking it. They kept breaking it. They kept breaking it. And so the New Testament basically is as as an agreement or a new covenant. The Bible says, Jesus says very famously, Uh, when he is talking about the Lord's Supper prior to his death, shedding his blood, he said that his love was a new covenant with them, this covenant in my blood. So it's still a blood covenant. But get this, the way I understand this, it's better said that Jesus goes to God, let's say, and says, you know, that first covenant ain't working us and them. How about if the covenant is between me and you? And so Jesus, the son makes a covenant with God, the father. And now who's going to break the, the peace treaty? Neither one. How do we get in on it? There you go. You come to Christ through faith. And then he becomes the propitiation. He becomes the atonement. He becomes the sacrifice. And Through our faith in him, now his righteousness is imputed to us. And now through Christ, we have a covenant with God that cannot be broken because it is Christ in us that's made the covenant. That's the way I understand that simply stated from a simple man.
0: I agree with what you're saying. the The piece of it that's a little bit different for me is um, I look at the new covenant not as necessarily. This is totally different from the old covenant, but it's sort of like new wine. Okay. Yeah.
1: Put in a new. Yeah. skin.
0: You've got you've got wine. And you've got new wine.
1: Yeah, it it Um, is a fulfillment.
0: Because what we, it's it's
1: a fulfillment, not a replacement.
0: Yeah, and and because to me, the old covenant grows into the new covenant because God's plan has always been about grace.
1: Right, absolutely.
0: Always been about grace.
1: And the Bible says that the blood of Christ is what is used to forgive those of faith in the Old Testament. Right. So it brings them in to the new covenant as well. Right.
0: So, and, and I think that's important because, you know, I grew up really seeing it as, oh, no, here you're saved under the law. Uh-huh. Here you're saved under grace. The reality is you're always saved you're under always grace. Saved under grace.
1: Right. Always through faith.
0: Yeah. It's right. always grace through faith. You know, the, the Hebrews 11 doesn't say... Abraham did all the right stuff. Abraham followed all the right rules. Uh, Abraham followed the law. Well, the law hadn't. Yeah, it, it it didn't say any of that was credited to him as righteousness. It said Abraham had faith, and, and it, it also included
1: the things that he then did because of his. Was faith. sure. So, because he took his son Isaac and obeyed Christ through his faith. You know, that was credited it, to him as righteousness. And
0: that's a perfect example because it brings that right. new covenant into perspective right. because God provided the lamb.
1: Yeah. For so long when I was young, I was always taught that um, it was up to me. You know, the emphasis was more on me and what I did in order to get it. That's impossible. And I would say that's bondage. I mean, if you're in that kind of belief system, you're in bondage because you cannot live up to it. You cannot do enough. You're going to fail. And it's just so difficult to to relate to a God of grace and love. To use grace in a cheap way, to cheapen grace and to sin purposely, just because you think sin, grace is going to cover you, is also a perversion of that. But because of what Christ did through his mercy and love for us. He poured out his grace, and now we become the people of God. And certainly, what do you want most in your wife, in your bride? I think a man wants purity. I mean, don't you want that from your bride? Why, certainly it is. Well, that's what God wants. And consequently, when the people of Israel strayed away from God, he called that infidelity. He called that, you know, and it was a very, very serious thing. So.
0: I I want, I want love. Amen. That's what I want. And the purity isn't the, the aim. The purity is the thing that defines that the love is there.
1: Right. Well, we're made righteous. Right. We're made pure.
0: Right. Um, because if, if you don't have the love, you're not going to have that purity.
1: Right. Right. So that, that flows then to now, what are you to do? Well, you, you're to witness, and witness is just lovingly telling your story, Right, you know, lovingly telling your story. Uh, John Caldwell, uh, Dr. Caldwell was here a few weeks ago, and I was telling, I think, Mike, I don't know if I told you, you may have been there, but um, after the cameras were off and after everything was done, uh, we pressed John a little bit further about his story before, you know, he became the Christian, the preacher, the doctor, and that, and he told a story. And his story was that he was going to be a doctor, and he was two years into medical school, and he took a biology, pre-med, he took a biology course. And he said there was a young girl there, and this professor was atheist and always spoke very harshly of anything that was of God that came up. And he said, but this young girl would always raise her hand and say, Doctor, Doctor, what about this? What about this, the scripture says. And then he would go railing against that. But John said that was the witness in his life that moved him from becoming a doctor and becoming a preacher. I said, John, that's the story. Right? You know, we, we, we need to hear. That's the witness of his testimony that a young girl that stood up boldly in front of someone that was so smart and had the power in the class, but just gently, lovingly showed her faith. Right. And she is a part of every decision that comes through John amazing? Caldwell's life.
0: He also pointed out that the professor never answered her question. Never answered,
1: because he couldn't. Just he
0: just shamed her. Yeah. He shamed her and belittled her, but never answered her question, because he didn't want to approach it. No. You know? True. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is... Um, a fork in the road yes when you approach him you have to make a decision Um, am I going to embrace him am I going to follow his path Um, or am I going to choose my own path and that that is a truth for all of us
1: John I think that kind of might set our next episode which is sanctification glorification the finality of it all is the hope of eternal life with our Savior.
0: Yeah, these big words do kind of lead us on a path yeah. through that.
1: Kind of keep going.
0: So, yeah, next time, guys, we will talk about sanctification and glorification. So I just hope <laughs> that you've enjoyed this, that you've gotten something out of it. It's been a blessing to help you Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and that we haven't bored you to death.
1: <laughs> no, that's no, totally interesting.
0: <laughs> of course. Thank you for joining us. We love you. We'll see you next time.